0: Welcome to the Lady Landlords Podcast, where we empower women to gain financial independence through real estate investing. I'm your host, Becky Nova, founder of Lady Landlords. If you're ready to buy, manage, and grow your real estate portfolio, then let's get started. Welcome back to today's episode of the Lady Landlords Podcast. I am your host, Becky Nova, the founder of Lady Landlords. And today we have Paige Panzerello joining us from the cash flow chip. So Paige, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
1: Oh, Becky, I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you so much. I just can't wait for today's show.
0: Good. I love because today we're going to be talking about a very specific niche within real estate investing that I think are, I know our members have actually been asking about this information. So I am so excited to really get some very clear answers from someone that's just been so successful in that industry. But first, I always like to start by just learning a little bit more about who you are outside of real estate investing and notes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you said, I I am Paige Panzerello, the cash flow chick, and I've been in the real estate investing sphere uh, for about 25 years now. Uh, I've done just about everything there is to do in real estate investing, with the exception of becoming a realtor. Uh, that, that's one thing I, I pretty much avoided. But for the most part, I've done just about everything there is to do. Um, and I'll tell you, Becky, I, when I came into this space, it wasn't by choice. Um, I didn't choose real estate. Real estate chose me. Um, my grandmother had passed away, and she had a very large estate uh, that was about $4 million in debt. Um, we, had, we had, I know, crazy, <laughs> right? Um, we had holdings in California and in Arizona, and so my, my family stayed in California, where I am from, and I went off to Arizona knowing nothing about real estate or real estate investing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we had 38 townhome units in Arizona, a sewer wow. treatment plant, and some land. And I will tell you that the, that the 38 units were only about 40% occupied. Um, and then Mm -hmm. most of them were in a state of disrepair. They needed to be fixed, um, because they were not habitable. So again, we were 4 million in debt. I go off to Arizona knowing nothing. And back then we didn't have things like zoom. I mean, the (laughs) internet was barely around, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I had to surround myself with people that had the answers to the questions I was asking. Mm -hmm. Um, Long story short, fast forward. Within 18 months, I was able to fix and and put renters into those units. Um, we were 100 occupied. Within three years, I turned the four million into the positive, so we came out of debt. Um, and I realized though that we weren't going to be able to sustain profitability with mm-hmm. the townhome units because. The, the area didn't command the, the market rents that we needed to command in order to maintain profitability. So I went to my family and I said, we need to sell off these units and we want, need to sell off the sewer treatment plant and we're and I want to use that money to build on the land. And my family said, nope, don't want any part of that. I said, okay. And I bought the, co- the company, I bought the corporation. I knew nothing about construction, <laughs> right? So I found a contractor, I designed a project to build on the land, um, and I quickly realized he was going to bankrupt me coming out of the ground, and so I fired him, and I started my own construction company. Again, I knew nothing about construction, but I was bold and fearless and young at the time. Um, I had nothing to lose, and so I started the construction company, found a qualifying party, And within three years, we were the largest private employer in the county. Um, Yep, we held all of our licenses with the exception of HVAC and roofing. And the only reason we didn't have those is because the insurance was too high. And I was young and I was making money hand over fist, Becky, but I will Mm -hmm. tell you, I was working seven days a week, Mm -hmm. 18 hours a day. And and literally, I think it would have put me in an early grave. It, it would have. Wow. My saving grace, though, and, and I say it, I choose those words carefully, is um, the crash, right? I saw the crash in 2008. In 2007, 2008, yes. Okay. I saw it coming. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this is not going to affect me at all uh, because I was only about 10, 15% leveraged. I mm-hmm. had a lot of liquidity, I had a lot of assets. Um, and, and I had great relationships, right? What mm-hmm. I did not anticipate is that the people that owed me money were not going to be able to pay me. So the crash happened literally on top of my head and I was pretty devastated. Um, I had the opportunity like everybody else to file for bankruptcy. I chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, I li- liquidated everything. At pennies on the dollar, I paid off everybody that I knew. And I walked out of Arizona having paid everybody off, but losing $20 million. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when you say, and before we were already talking about $4 million was already the problem. And now we're talking 20 million. 20 so
1: million.
0: yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, gotcha. and I called that earlier a blessing, right? My saving grace. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that for a reason, because. It taught me number one, it kept me out of the grave, right? Because mm-hmm. the stress and anxiety of, of all of that was tremendous. But number two, it it, it taught me how I relate to money. It taught mm-hmm. me who I am as an investor. It taught me my risk tolerances, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it really shaped and molded me to be the person that I am today. So I went away from real estate investing for a little while to lick my wounds and kind of regroup. Oh my God. So we were
0: already talking about now 4 million, but now we're actually talking about like 20 million. So I want to unpack a couple of things that you'd kind of said in there. One of the first things that I love that you started with is that you've done a ton of things in real estate, but you are not a realtor and you don't want to be a realtor. Can I ask why that
1: is? Yeah, there was there were a couple of situations, especially when you're an owner builder. There are opportunities for you that are don't necessarily exist if you are a realtor. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because my focus is not to number one, it's not the retail side of being a realtor. Um, mm-hmm. That's not that's never interested me. Um, largely because that's not my focus. My focus is to be more of an investor. Um, now, I realize there are advantages to being a realtor as an investor, um, but honestly, I've built such a huge network as it is that I can rely on other realtors and use their services that, that I don't necessarily need to have my own licensing.
0: Correct. And that's we talk about that often here, that sometimes we need to be the experts in what we are in and let other people be the experts in what they do. And I exactly. think there's a very big misconception with real estate investing that we have to be realtors. Yes. And I am. I say the same thing. I have no desire to be a realtor. So it's just nice to hear that somebody else um, also kind of felt that same way. The only thing that I thought was interesting in the beginning of your story is you mentioned a water sewer, a, tr- a water treatment sewer plant. treatment plant. Yep. How did that fit into anything? That's
1: <laughs> just 38 townhomes. And a water treatment plant. <laughs> and a sewer treatment plant. Um, and I'm going to crack a little joke here. It's a crappy business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it was just one of those holdings that my grandmother invested in. And, mm-hmm. she, you know, we are in a smaller town. It's not like a big city sewer district. Um, but it, it was in a smaller town. And mm-hmm. it serviced the town homes and kind of some of the surrounding homes. So, um, you know, it was fully operational and it also provided us some irrigation water. So it was really interesting. Yeah. Again, my focus was not to run a sewer treatment plant. (laughs) I am.
0: I don't think that's anything that anybody ever kind of thinks about, like growing up, wanting what I'm going to own when I I get older. Sewers. (laughs) But, exactly. but I love the fact that, one, I love anytime I hear stories about women, especially like our grandmothers and great grandmothers that were investing, thinking ahead. Anytime that I hear about like women that were really doing something in a generation where women were not able to do things, um, I just want to just say kudos to the long line of strong women then that you come to come from. Yes. But I also love the fact that she really kind of almost saw that probably as diversification, right? Hey, I need to get water to my townhomes this is actually something that is kind of fully integrated. So I think that's really kind of unique. So we now are going from 4 million, once again, saying like, oh my God, I'm sure everybody listening to this is like, drop their jaw when you had said that number. And now you just dropped 20 on us. What happened next? after the
1: 20 million? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Where do we go from there? Yeah. So obviously, you know, I felt good about my decision and having to, you know, because I paid everybody. I was one of those lucky few that did that. Um, and there were, Mm -hmm. you know, there were a lot of people that did not pay me. So I felt very good about that. Um, that, and I honestly, Becky have investors to this day because of it. Um, so I'm very fortunate, but I did, you know, I went back home to California and I've always been entrepreneurial. So I started a couple little entrepreneurial things and it just mm-hmm. didn't feel, it didn't feed my heart, right? Yeah. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go back into real estate investing, but I want to do, I had heard about this thing called notes and mm-hmm. I thought, huh, what's that? Because as you know, I mean, when you lose 10, $20 million, excuse me. You tend to be a little risk averse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah,
0: that might be something. Yes, exactly. Yes. I want to see cash in the right. bank. I'm already kind of, you know, licking my wounds here. So, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: exactly. So, what, coming back in, I was very risk averse, and so I looked for mediums that presented to me in a less as a less risky investment, and mm-hmm. I came across notes. Mm-hmm. And when I started to learn about notes as I'm doing other things, I'm, you know, wholesaling, I'm fixing and flipping, and I'm kind of having flashbacks of my, of my construction days, right? So okay. I knew that that was not a permanent thing for me. Yeah. Um, but I was building my capital back up, right? So I got I was doing what I needed to do to get to what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was notes. And when I got here, I'll tell you, And learning about notes, angels sang for me, literally sang for me. Now, what are notes? Such a good question because a lot of people don't know. Notes are basically just a promise to pay. It is a a promise to pay that it's a debt instrument. um, And there are many different kinds of notes that you can invest in. Now, isn't like my mortgage technically a note? Because that's document
0: that says that I promised to pay this bank. So is my mortgage considered a note?
1: Yes. Your mortgage is considered a note. You know what else is? Your car car loan. That's a note. Credit card debt. That is a note, right? That's unsecured note. Your car loan is a secured loan because the car, they come and take your car if you don't pay your your car payment, right? Same thing with mortgage, right? The house is the securing collateral for your Mm -hmm. invested dollars. Credit card debt is unsecured, right? There's no there's nothing bad nothing to that investment, right? So there's many different notes that you can invest in. I invest, and and by the way, there's different positions, right? Okay. So I invest in first position because I like to be paid first. <laughs> so first position, non-performing notes secured by real estate.
0: Okay. That is a full sentence of a lot of terms that we're going to now break down. Okay. okay. So first thing, let's talk about position because we have this conversation in some of our other episodes when we talk about um, creative financing and different types of lenders, and they kind of say, well, I'll you this, but I need first position or they don't want to be second position. So can you talk a little bit about what what that position means? You said it's who gets paid back first, right? Yes. So yes. What other, is there any other time that a person would not want to be in first position?
1: Well, I mean, there are some very successful second position uh, note investors, which means that you are willing to take the position behind the first position. Um, Generally speaking, a second position note is a little less money to, you know, that you need required to invest. Um, But to me, again, being so risk averse, you're under threat of a foreclosing first position lien if you're in the second position. So my preference mm-hmm. is to be in a first position lien um, on that property, right? So I'm the right. first person to get paid back. Typically, the only thing that can wipe me out are municipal liens, meaning property taxes, right? Property yeah. tax, or tax lien sales um, can wipe out your first position loan. But you're alerted to the fact that that they exist, um, and that's kind of part of the due diligence. We can go down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> <I don't
0: laughs> we we might go get down.
1: But, we might get but, there. But yeah, but we're. I mean, in first position is exactly like it sounds. We are the yep. first to get paid, right? So now you're buying
0: somebody else's mortgage or somebody else's note, promise to pay, because we're talking, once again, then you mentioned that this was only with houses, only real estate, right? So basically, you're buying the mortgage um, for somebody that's promising to pay back that house, and you then are taking the first position on that. And then you said you do this, and then you said it would be secure, right? Yes. Because once again, we're talking real estate, so that has the houses. So are you buying these
1: notes from a bank? Yes. Gotcha. I buy from banks, hedge funds, other note investors, um, credit unions, hard money lenders, you, brokers, you name it. I, as Anybody long as, that has it. <laughs> as long as the numbers make sense to me then, and make sense to who I am as an investor, and that's an important piece, right? Yes. Um, then I will buy it. Then I will buy Perfect.
0: it. Perfect. And we talk about that too. What might be a good deal for you might not be a good deal for me. We all have kind of different things that we consider that. But numbers got to work, regardless if it's me or you on that. The other interesting term that you had in that phrase was non-performing.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: sounds scary to me. Yes. Can you explain what performing versus that a non-performing would be?
1: Yes. So it's just like it sounds. Non-performing, the borrower has stopped Paying their mortgage, a performing loan is where the borrower is paying their their mortgage, and it sounds crazy because, like you said, Becky, that sounds risky, right? It sounds scary yeah. to go into a, an an investment knowing that your borrower has stopped paying. And I will tell you, crazy like a fox, okay? <laughs> crazy like a fox. And the reason I focus on non performing loans is that I buy them at a much bigger discount. Off of the current market value of the securing collateral. Okay. So okay. I build in immediately at the beginning, I build in a very large cushion of equity mm-hmm. already into my investment before I even start working it out. It also, and in doing that,
0: it mm-hmm. allows
1: me to try and work with my borrower to keep them in their home um, and give them a second gotcha. chance, which is pretty cool. Gotcha. Because I was just saying, say,
0: I feel like there would probably be better deals on non-performing notes rather than performing yeah. notes, because that means people are paying. So a bank might not, or bank or some of the other places that you mentioned that you would buy these from, they're not, they don't really care to sell them as much if they're actually getting paid the money that they're owed, right? But I can definitely then see people saying, well, they're not, I'm not being paid. I don't necessarily want this loan anymore because I'm kind of seeing the writing on the wall,
1: Right. Exactly, and larger institutions um, like FC, FDIC insured institutions, mm-hmm. they they have to have um, capital reserves set aside, and it there's federal regulations on those banks to do a foreclosure that we as individual investors don't necessarily um, have to adhere to, right? So right. they're willing to discount it substantially. Mm-hmm. Sell it to somebody like me and write off the loss off of their taxes and get rid of the headache, right? right? Um in a performing situation, it's they don't need to discount it that much. And and reason that they sell a performing loan is if they want to recapture capital, right? Gotcha. So so I will do that too. That's part of our exit strategies, which we'll, we'll get to later, I'm sure. Um, but I like to get a note performing, cash flow it. I am the cash flow mm-hmm. check, right? Uh-huh. Um Cash flow it. And then a few years down the road, sell it to another uh, performing note investor and recapture my capital and do it all over again. Gotcha. Okay. So let's break this down here. So when
0: you, you had mentioned that when you buy the notes, one of the things that you really build in is uh, making sure that you have like that equity in that. Can you talk more about that?
1: Absolutely. So typically in a non-performing situation, um, Mm -hmm. I will pay anywhere between my sweet spot, um, and it was much lower when I started, by the way, when I first started investing in notes, I was buying at 36 to 42 cents on the dollar of the current market value of the securing collateral, right? Okay. Not on the total debt, because remember, especially in 2008, you know, people yeah. were underwater, right? The, their bottom dropped out of the value of their home. So I, I based my purchase price not on the amount owed. Correct. But, because but. sometimes
0: they end up, in 2008,
1: people actually owed more than what their property was worth. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Gotcha. And so I do that now. Exactly. Um, so I take the, the securing collateral and evaluate it and discount it from there. So for instance, let's say my borrower owes mm-hmm. $100,000, right? Um, yeah. Plus they haven't paid. So there's default interest, et cetera. So the... the yeah. Principal balance is 100, but they're twenty thousand dollars in arrears as well, right? Mm -hmm. The technically the face value of the note's 120, right? But the property is only worth 80, so I will buy based on that eighty thousand dollars, and I will discount it. My sweet spot right now is generally between fifty five and sixty two cents on the dollar,
0: right? So then that way, once again. So you would be paying, for example, for that, in that example, if it was worth 80,000, you would be looking to really purchase that for like 40,000, yep, 40, 40, 40 50,000, somewhere in yep. there, right? That 50, yep. 60% of what really that asset is worth at 80,000, right. not 120,000. Right. That's somebody else's, that's the non-performing part. The fact that now they owe so much more than what the property is really worth. Exactly. exactly. Okay. So now you end up buying not the property but now you end up buying the note which is yeah. a piece of paper right now you end up buying that note for that discounted price how does that put money in your pocket
1: Such a good question such a good question all right so we have and this is one of the other things that i love about note investing is that unlike many other forms of real estate investing, we actually have 23 different exit strategies available to us. 23? Right? Oh, my 23. God. 23. <laughs> so we can mitigate our risk 23 different ways, right? That said, we don't use all 23 all the time. We typically stick to four, all right? Okay. The least favorite for me is foreclosure. Everybody knows what a foreclosure is. You just need to pay yeah. attention to whether it's a judicial versus a non judicial foreclosure state because the judicial foreclosure state will take a little longer and cost a little bit more, right? Um, so, foreclosure, my least favorite. Mm-hmm. We've got short sale. Everybody knows what a short sale is. So, that hundred and twenty dollars really borrower owes me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry? I said they're not really short either.
0: So, oh. short sales. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, that 120 that that borrower owes me, because I've purchased this note at about $45,000, and let's call it five or $6,000, I'm into it for workout costs.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: let's say I'm into it for $50,000, right? That gives me a lot of room to mitigate and mitigate my risk, but also work with my borrower and say, listen, if you want to get going here, We can we can create a situation where we forgive some debt, right? So I don't have to forgive all any debt. If I want the house, I can demand all one hundred twenty thousand and foreclose on them, right? Mm -hmm. I don't like to do that. Um, Short sale. If they say we want out of the house, um, and I have a buyer, or are you willing to short the sale? The house is only worth eighty. Are you willing to accept eighty as the purchase price? How Mm -hmm. fast do you think I'm going to say yes? I'm only fifty right i'm flipping paper i'm not even i'm not even swinging a hammer yeah i'm not fixing anything so i could agree to a short sale um i could agree to a deed in lieu of foreclosure so a deed in lieu of foreclosure is when the borrower says we don't want to stay in the house but we don't want a foreclosure on our on our paperwork you know on our credit yeah. would you missus bank right because i literally become the bank Mm-hmm. Would you accept the deed to our house as payment in full for our loan? So now I'm taking hold of the asset, right, the house, and I can do a variety of different things. I can fix and flip it. I can sell it to a fix and flipper and carry the paper. Mm-hmm. I can buy and hold it, right? So I can put it, fix it, and put a renter in there. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the houses don't even need to be fixed, right? Yeah. So so super easy short term rentals. Um, there's a variety of different things if I capture the property. Um, right. And again, I want the debt. I, I don't want to hold on to the properties, right?
0: Right. The whole point is then to not really be buying the actual asset. You yeah. could do that. You could go and you could buy the actual house. Exactly. But that's not the strategy here. The strategy here is buying the paper,
1: exactly. buying that Secured note. by the house. Secured, Secured by the house. house. Exactly. Important. So that way we right. don't
0: lose our shirt here. Exactly. Because we have that behind us. Gotcha.
1: and so, then my favorite, but my favorite mm-hmm. exit strategy is the reperforming situation. So, of that hundred twenty thousand, if my borrower wants to stay, to stay, I can go to them and say, "Listen," and use that debt as leverage. I can say, "Listen, we're willing to forgive. You know, if you come up with a down payment, and you'd be surprised how many do. Mm-hmm. Um, come up with a down payment. You know, a couple thousand dollars as kind of a good faith." Um, I'm going to put you in a trial payment plan for six months. And if that's successful, then we're willing to modify your loan and we'll reduce, we'll forgive some debt. We can reduce interest rates. Um, we can, there's all kinds of, you know, reduce payments, but when you do that, you're internally refining your loan. And the beauty part of doing so is that Mm -hmm. we're now resetting the clock. And as we know, banks make their money on interest. Right. Mm-hmm. So when we refi that loan internally, modify it, we're resetting the clock. And now the payments begin for another 30 or 40 years. And most of that payment is going to be my interest, which is my profit. Right. Right. So I can cash flow that. And when the toilet breaks, the borrower does not call me. They they call a plumber. Right. I was
0: going to say, that's great. You're not the landlord of this situation. You're continuing to make money from the from this. You're keeping people in their home, yep. which is always, you know, that good well benefit to things. Um, and you also, worst comes to worst, you actually then get the asset, right? Because right. of that first position. So yep. nice.
1: Yeah, but there are people that come into note investing that want the house. And so I always tell my students, please, if, if you want the house, invest in notes that, that are on vacant properties, right? Because I can tell you it's no fun kicking families out of their house. It's no, my, it's my There's last, that little thing last, last resort.
0: Right. And sometimes when we kind of try to do the good in the world, we kind of get that kind of comes back around, right? That whole idea of like kind of karma or whatever we put it onto the universe tends to kind of come back to us. So listen, are there situations when that has to happen? Is there situations that are just absolutely unavoidable? Yes. And they suck. And that's what it is. But once again, if there's a better way to kind of go, go around this, that really is a win-win for everybody. Once again, you're making money on interest. The bank is able to get rid of their non-performing loans off their books. And a family can actually come up with a solution to be able to stay in their home. Win-win-win for everybody. Exactly. And that's why I love note investing. Well, you sold me on the idea, but how does someone then, if get involved in this, to even start acquiring notes. I wouldn't even know. I mean, you mentioned some of the people of like where you can kind of get notes from, but what is the process to even be able to then purchase notes?
1: Yeah, such a good question. All right. So um, as you know, in everything, Becky, everything, there are two things that, that are paramount, money and deals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you, I spend zero dollars marketing for my deals. I do not send Easy. out yellow letters. I do not knock on doors. I don't do bandit <laughs> signs. I don't do any of that. Yeah. I network with people. I go to conferences. Mm-hmm. I meet in, and, and this space, I will tell you, yes, there is competition, but it's very collaborative. So okay. once you get hooked into knowing, you know, getting to know or, or meeting an asset manager, and I call them all ma- asset managers, right? Okay, Um, because they're the ones that diversify the portfolios. So when I meet these asset managers, I you know, the the beauty part is, is they don't care if you're new. They are not emotionally involved or invested in these properties. They just want to make sure you're not a tire kicker and that you're going to close. That's all they care about, right? And once you establish that reputation, they will also start to really introduce you to other asset managers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Other note investors will introduce you to asset managers. It's a small community. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows the players, right? Um, But it's also very, very collaborative. And you just need to know. That's it. That's great. And we actually have, if, um,
0: if you're new to the Lady Landlords podcast, we do have a couple episodes about networking and how to make sure to really optimize going to conferences, events, and things like that. So please do make sure to go back and take a look for the Lady Landlords episode all about networking and, also, um, and, and see if that will kind of help you in some of these situations. So now you're networking. So that honestly is going to make a ton of our listeners incredibly happy because then they're not out there competing with how crazy this market is right now trying to go over, ask, waive all these contingencies that they're kind of doing now. It, I'm sure any of our listeners right now, just hearing the words like, hey, we can actually do this collaboratively, already sounds great. Yep. Um, so it's really through networking that you find out about these opportunities. So is it usually the banks, the hard money lenders that are then calling you, saying, hey, Paige, we have an oppor- a deal that might actually work for you.
1: Yeah. They don't even need, they don't even need to pick up the phone. Once, uh, once you make that connection, you kind of yeah. tell them what you're looking for Okay, and you ask to be added to their buyers list. Right. Um, okay. oftentimes they'll have you sign an NDA, right. A, a non-disclosure agreement because they don't want you daisy chaining. There's no wholesaling of notes. They don't want, you know, if they're sending their tape, it's called a tape, which mm-hmm. is basically an Excel spreadsheet. If they're sending you the tape, they want, they're trusting that you're not going to send it out to a bunch of people, right? So it's very normal to sign an NDA. What is not Mm -hmm. normal is that don't ever pay for a tape. Tapes are free, right? That's great. Yeah. Don't, if somebody says that they're going to charge you for a tape, please run in the other direction because they don't know what they're doing and they're going to take your money.
0: Okay. So that's kind of the scam. We hear that all the time, too, about other things with like lenders, if they're asking for certain like payment yeah. upfront. So I'm always happy to kind of get those red flags. So okay, so paying for basically the, the that information about the node, which is called a tape. Yep. That is, that's a big red flag. Got yes. it.
1: Yes. So okay. avoid that. But other than that, if once they have assets available, and they're, if you're on their buyers list, they just arrive in your inbox.
0: So really then it sounds like the first step is to kind of do that networking, meet hard money lenders, banks, lenders of all kind of types and then let them know, hey, I'm looking to buy such and such type of note. Yes. Then you're kind of on their radar, you're kind of on their their list, right? Yes. So then that way when they have something, when they have that opportunity, you're one of the people that they will send it out to. Yes. Absolutely. Now you would you would mention that you'd like to let them know like what your criteria is, like what you're looking for. Does that are you referring to that idea of the first position secured real estate um, exactly. that type, or is there any other type of criteria that would be helpful to let somebody know that you're looking for?
1: Yes, of course. It's called a buy box. Your um, mm-hmm. buy box, and there's uh, we don't. I mean, I <laughs> we don't have time to go through all of it, um, but I will tell you. Yes, first position non-performing notes secured by real estate. There are other assets like um, that you don't want to ev- um, avoid. For instance, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little jumbled. My, my brain is going faster than my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, non-judicial foreclosure states always are heavily favored, right? Okay. But if you do that, half the country is judicial. And so you're missing out on opportunity. Um, so keep that in mind. However, in my buy box, I want to be in and out of notes within 12 to 16 months, give or take. Um, And so I don't invest in notes in New York, for instance, because as you know, foreclosure in New York takes about (laughs) four to five years. That doesn't fit my buy box. So I don't even look at assets in New York, right? Gotcha. So things like that. Um, And, you know, there are many nuances. And by the way, everybody don't walk into Wells Fargo and say, I want to buy notes. They're going to look <laughs> at you like you've got horns growing out of your head. They don't understand. You have to contact different avenues. And, and quite frankly, you have to be pretty darn big uh, to buy from Wells Fargo. So Wait, I would so, avoid Wells Fargo.
0: <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of reasons that we can give that we should probably all avoid Wells Fargo to yes. be honest. in general. But yes. what I hear you saying is really, some of those like the big bank, the big box banks, right? Your Bank of America, your Chase, those are not necessarily the places to start. And right. that's, that kind of goes kind of for anything that we should do. It's kind of more of that grassroots, who do yeah. we know? Who are the hard money lenders? Who are the people in our community? Who are the right. smaller players as we kind of build our build our way up? And then it also sounds like over time, that buy box will become much more clear and yes. we'll get much more specific on what we're looking for. Same thing to relate it once again back to kind of like rentals, if you're working with like a wholesaler that, you know, we, or even a realtor for that matter, we have an idea of what the criteria is that we're looking for and really over time, we tend to get a little more specific in what our buying criteria is. It sounds like it's exactly the same with note buying.
1: It is exactly, you know, and and there's one thing, you know, you have to consider your budget as well because there are no financing in notes. Um, unless you're a huge, huge hedge fund, right? So you either have, that's one of the downfalls, I have to say. You either have to have cash yourself or mm-hmm. invest with JD partners or use other people's money, of course. And there's plenty of money out there. Um, it's the perfect vehicles for self-directed IRAs to invest in. So keep that in mm-hmm. mind. Um, but again, you know, you will have to keep in, in mind your budget. So if your budget is that you have $100,000 to spend, and you know that you're only, you know, that your percentage that you're going to pay is 50%, you don't want to look at assets that have values over $200,000 because you can't afford it. I call that shopping on Rodeo drive. Right. Um, Right. Want to avoid that. So there are many factors that play into your buy box, but, but Mm -hmm. most part, you know, they're just a couple little bullet points that you tell the bank, but inwardly, you know, internally, you know, okay, I don't invest in condos. I don't invest in land. I don't, you know, things like
0: that. Right. And that was actually me one of my questions for you. If this was really then that all cash, um, really an all cash kind of play. So that's good to know. But once again, you could still kind of do it with partners and kind of pool some money that way. But yeah. otherwise, which makes sense, right? If now you're buying, if you're buying somebody else's promise to pay for something, to do that with your own note would also just kind of be a little much more complicated and probably counterintuitive. Yeah. So it makes much more sense that it would be an all-cash play. Yes. Um Gotcha. So, and then once again, so that there are the notes for really kind of all price points that I'm sure just as yeah. there are houses. So there, if I'm assuming then that there's not like a typical amount or an average amount that you would say that somebody would need to get started in this. It more sounds like, well, depending on how much the asset is, you could buy an asset for 20K as much as you could buy something for 200K, right? Yes, absolutely. Gotcha. Okay. So now, now I've done my networking. Now I've talked to more of these local lenders. Some of my connections there. I let them know what type of note I'm actually looking for. Great. Now I get a tape and I'm like, yes, this is what I was
1: looking for. What do I do? Such a good question. All right. One of the biggest pieces of, of how you are going to protect yourself and your invested dollar is your education right? And I'm not saying run out and go spend tens of thousands of dollars on a guru. That's not what I'm saying. There's plenty of free information out there. Um, I've got some free information that you, that you can go to, um, you know, and, and I'll give you contact later on. But but you have to educate yourself. If you do not educate yourself, there are little nuances in note investing where you can get tripped up and you can hurt get hurt. For instance, gotcha. One of our exit strategies, we talked about deed in lieu of foreclosure, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if I, as the first position, if I don't do my due diligence and know to look, if there's a junior lien holder behind me, mm-hmm. then I could get stuck on the hook for that debt. Because if I take the deed for the house as payment in full, mm-hmm. my loan goes away and everybody moves up a step. So if you <laughs> don't look for the junior lien holders behind you, you don't realize I'm now on the hook to pay them, right? Right. So there's, your education is absolutely paramount. Okay. So, and, and when you get educated, it will, te- they, that will teach you what are the due diligence steps you need to take? What mm-hmm. you need to look for? What to avoid? How to analyze a note? Things like that.
0: Right. So, and that's anything that we kind of get ourselves involved in. We kind of have to understand that education point. We have to understand what we're investing in. We don't want to lose all of our money here. We're trying to make smart, confident decisions, lady landlords, right? So really coming from that place of understanding what we're getting ourselves involved in is a huge, huge factor in that. So got it. So then in order to purchase, when I see that tape that I'm like, yes, this is the way that I'm going to, this is it this is the deal that I want. Do I now need to draw up legal forms? Do uh, who do I write the out to? Is there contracts,
1: closing fees like there are when I buy a rental property? Not at all. So we don't have nice. closing fees in the note space. Um, we typically don't use escrow, although there are a couple of platforms that you can use um, online. That, and I don't recommend uh, going, I mean, there are some websites you can go on a, on a website right now and buy a note, right? I don't right. recommend doing that. Um, <laughs> but there are a couple that I do, I have used and I have bought from and I have sold on and I do like them and I do recommend them. Nice. Um, but, and they will use escrow like a th- independent third party, but it's very common that you are going to wire your funds directly to your seller. They will come up with the MLSA, right? The mortgage loan sale agreement. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's referred to as a PSA, which is a purchase and sale agreement. But the documents are all drawn up by the seller. It is okay. your job to review them. Okay. So you need to know how to do that. And if not, pay an attorney to do that. <laughs> right? right. That's the best advice over here. Yep. Yeah. Pay an attorney. Be the a couple hundred dollars you ever spend. Right. And of course, I teach my students as well to do that. Um, and then you sign the documents, wire the funds, and then the bank will send you the actual hard physical file with the original wet sign documents. Wow. Okay. That's simple.
0: Now, do you have to buy notes in an LLC as a company, corporation,
1: or can you buy notes
0: as as yourself?
1: You can buy notes as yourself. I don't recommend that. <laughs> the reason for that, besides all of the the normal reasons is that when a note is sold, your mm-hmm. borrower is informed, right? So there's a servicing company that st- steps in the middle of this. Um, they, mm-hmm. and they handle, this is the other thing that I love. Perfect. It's just perfect for me. They handle the communication between you and your borrower. So I don't, I, cause I've got a huge, huge heart and everybody's got a story. So my borrowers don't contact me directly, right? They contact my servicer. However, okay. he said, the servicer, the old servicer for the old note holder is going to send what they call a goodbye letter. So that says goodbye. We're not, we're not going to be your lender anymore. Your new lender is. And they list your company. But if you invest as page panzerello, it will hey. say page panzerello right? So I strongly urge you not to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> no, and for, for a ton of other reasons, we should be investing through exactly. LLCs anyways, rental properties, anything that we yep. really do from a liability perspective. Exactly. Yeah, I would not, I don't know what types of phone calls you'd be getting if your name was all of a sudden on that paper going out as now the new new owner. Here. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, Interesting. So, and then you had mentioned a server, right? So is that somebody that you have on your team that then you pay to then to be that manager?
1: Absolutely. So I have servicing companies that are licensed debt collectors. I am not a licensed debt collector, nor do I want to be, right? They know all the CFPB rules and regulations of what they can say and what they can't say. Mm -hmm. And they are the direct contact between and they liaise between you and your borrower. So yes, I pay them. Um, mm-hmm. It's a nominal fee. It's it's generally anywhere depending depending on the servicer. Um, it's generally anywhere between forty and seventy five dollars per asset per month, which is nothing. No. Right. Um, and they handle all of the communications. They handle all of the documentation. They are in place to accept payments and apply them correctly to the loan. They also send out all the 1099 tax forms, 1098 tax forms at the end of the year to the borrowers Mm -hmm. and to you. So they handle all of that. And I'm happy to let them handle it. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: It it sounds to me very much like a property manager for a rental, right? They're that intermediary. They're the one that takes all the calls. They're the ones that deal with some hostile, angry people, hopefully more than us. So- Um, And same thing for a nominal fee. That's a great service. Why not kind of use that in that situation? So I love that. So that's, so one of the things that you had mentioned in there is about how you, um, how you like to buy shorter term notes, right? That you kind of like, that you like to be able to kind of flip these notes, like as soon as possible. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important and why that's part of your strategy?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So I don't necessarily buy shorter term notes, I look to be in the note for the shorter term, right? Now, mm-hmm. when I started out, Becky, I had to build up capital. So even though I'm the cash flow chick and I love cash flow, I still needed to recapture capital so I could acquire more. So when mm-hmm. you first start out, then you're probably gonna try to get, you know, you get into a couple notes or a note, a note. Hopefully mm-hmm. you can get it to reperform, get it cash flowing sell it to a performing, you know, season it for a short period of time, 12 months, 16 months, whatever. Okay. Um, and then sell it to a performing note buyer. And you only have to discount it for about two, you know, maybe 10, 15% tops, depending upon where the asset is located. Right. Um, and so, and, and what I mean by 10 to 15% discount is now off of what the new UPB is, the new unpaid principal balance, right? Mm -hmm. Which is generally probably going to be somewhere close to the current market value of the property.
0: So if we go back to that example of the property now that was worth $80,000, right? Mortgage was for $100,000. Now with fees, the seller is, sorry, the owner is in the hole at $120,000. You bought it at that 45, we're going to call it price. You bought it for 45. Now you were able to work something out with the owners um, that are now, probably give them a discount now, maybe their loan is instead of 120, maybe we're down to 90, let's call it. Yep. property's property still worth around 80. So then you can now, now that you're getting those payments, now as a performing note, now you can sell it. So what would be then the, when you say that 10 to 15% discount, so what would be that in, in this example, what would be then the number that you would sell that performing note at?
1: So I would discount in $9,000 because that's 10% of 90,000. That's the current, the new unpaid principal balance of that loan.
0: Which is the balance of the loan. So now you're really buying something for 50K, 12, 16 months later, like you kind of talked about like a seasoning time. Now you're able to sell that and you're almost doubling your money now selling that at at about that 90,
1: 80, 90,000. Correct. And don't forget, I've also cash flowed every month for 12 months Mm -hmm. and I also probably got a chunk of cash, you know, so maybe two, $3,000 as a good faith, you know, payment up front. Mm-hmm. So I almost, I, I probably more than doubled my money when you calculate all of that together. And once again, also in a very short period
0: of time. In a 12 month period of time. Now, when you say to go to sell this now, who are the, are you selling it back to the same people That you bought these from, or who do you now go to to sell these notes?
1: Yes, perfect question. So, just like anything else, as you're networking for your asset managers, you're also networking with other note investors. Now, again, there are some platforms that you can put it online. And so you have a much broader scope of potential uh, buyers. Um, Mm -hmm. You can put it with a broker, a note broker, right? Um, and you can ask your servicing companies, hey, who is brokering notes? I wanna yeah. sell one, right? They know all who, who uh, you know, are the performing note buyers. Uh, so there are so many different avenues that you can find your buyers not, you know, outside of just your own marketing eff- or um, networking eff- efforts.
0: Right. Is there um, ever a time that you would hold a note and not sell it?
1: Yes, when you want the cash flow. Right. And just so that
0: way you could just continuously
1: take yeah. cash flow. Yeah. In the long so term. As a, and and now I'm in a position, you know, as as and that's I'm developing my nest egg, right? And my my retirement because I'm able to. I have enough capital. I generated enough in the beginning of my experience with note investing. And so mm-hmm. now I typically out of every I, I generally will keep half. So when I get a note to reperform, I'll keep. Um, 50% of those that I get to reperform and just cash flow them. And mm-hmm. the other 50% I'll sell off to a performing note investor. Once again, I'm going to relate this back to actually that physical like asset and the brick
0: and mortar kind of idea. This to me sounds very much like, well, these I bought, rehabbed, and flipped. And then these I bought, rehabbed, and now I'm doing a buy and hold, right? There's certain ones that I keep, there's certain ones that I sell. It exactly. sounds like a and it probably makes a difference depending on what those numbers look like for each exactly. of those, deciding which ones we're going to keep and which ones we're going to sell. Exactly. Well, I I love this idea. And this is something that I definitely am going to be diving more into. And I know you have an upcoming workshop that actually I'm going to be in, I'm going to be attending because I, I find this so intriguing and really something that I'm I'm thinking about moving my portfolio towards. Can you tell us a little bit about the upcoming workshop that you're going to be hosting, just in case some of our members would also like to attend that?
1: Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So again, you know, your education is key. My workshop is coming up June 10th through the 12th. Uh, It's three days. It is virtual, but it is live. Okay. Um, So you're going to have me all three days. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm going to teach you how to find notes. Um, I actually give you a couple of my asset managers. I'm going to teach you how to fund notes. Um, I'm sure Becky that, you know, like you said, networking and all of that, I'm sure you have many podcasts on, on <laughs> funding, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little different in the note space because again, there's no financing. So right. um, I'm going to teach you that. And I'm also going to teach you how, what to do when you find them. So I'm going to give you all the due diligence steps to take. Um, we're going to go over that ad nauseum, right. And I keep my workshop really small because I want to answer all of your questions. Um, mm-hmm. You're also going to meet uh, my loss mitigation team, right? Um, so you're going you're gonna to talk to some of my team members. I give you my resources um, because I'm the type of person, if I'm going to educate people, I'm going to give them all of the tools that they need. I'm not going to hold anything back. So, right. um, so you're going to get it all. Great. Well, I'm going to be, like I said, I'm going to be attending this and I
0: hope some of our other lady landlords will be joining me in that. I will make sure to put not only the information for the workshop, but also your contact information down in the show notes. So that way um, some of our members can either attend the workshop and then also reach out to you if they have any other questions, um, as I'm sure they will. This is such an interesting topic. Um, Paige, thank you so much for joining me today and reviewing notes. And I look forward to your workshop in a few weeks.
1: I'm excited too. And Becky, really quick, because I forgot to mention that for your, for your lady landlords, um, we've, we're providing a discount, right? There's a coupon. Oh. So, <laughs> so yeah, Thank I you. know. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I gave you that link. Let's put that in the show notes, but just in case it's buildingwealthwithnotes.com forward slash lady landlords, and, uh, you get a hundred dollars off your, off your, off your ticket. Thank you so much. I'm sure our members will
0: really appreciate that. I know I do. So Paige, thank you very much. I appreciate you being here with us today. I look forward to seeing you in the workshop in a few weeks, but thanks again for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. For other listeners, do make sure to hit that subscribe button, whether you're watching us on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. So you do not miss another episode of Lady Landlords. We release new episodes every single Tuesday, and I hope that you will join us again next week for the next episode of the Lady Landlords podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're feeling stuck in your real estate journey, visit lady-landlords.com roadman to book a one-on-one workshop with me. I'll help you determine your next best strategy. Or you could subscribe to our newsletter for exclusive tips and offers. Invest with confidence, become a Lady Landlord today.